0: Love Talk Radio.
1: Of the Pirate Monk podcast and radio extravaganza. So glad you're joining us either live on Blog Talk Radio or through the many media on which we are available in the big, wide world of, uh, of uh, podcasts, podcast them. Uh, I'm your host, Nate Larkin. Uh, I am high above the Mellow Mushroom in downtown metropolitan Franklin, Tennessee, being joined remotely. The Miracles of the Worldwide Interweb by our fearless, peerless engineer, Mondo Grimes. Yes, sir. How are you doing? Mondo Grimes. Yes, and from far, from the far westward rim of the continent, the co-host from the left coast, Commodore uh, Aaron Porter. Hello, Aaron.
2: Good morning, fellows. Hey, I have an assignment for our friends out in podco- podcast land. Yes. Yes. Yeah. If if there are any artistic people, I would love a cartoon of Nate Larkin sitting on top of a giant mushroom. Since every week, I have to hear you say, you're sitting high atop of a mellow mushroom. (laughs) And I just want to see that in caricature form. So if there are any creative people up there, we'll we'll post that somewhere. (laughs) (laughs) That's
1: just wrong. Uh
2: yeah. you could be like that uh that caterpillar in Alice in Wonderland. They can give you a hookah if they want, but there's tobacco in it.
1: There it you is go. Not
2: an opium pipe.
1: There's a man who for some reason watches a lot of children's movies.
2: <laughs> yeah. Hey, I I just walked down from Scooby Doo and the sun that's throwing up, so my head's in that zone.
1: Okay. All right. Well, my head's in a pretty good zone. If I could just jump off, I've gotten a lot of inquiries, a lot of questions. And for those of you who may know and uh, may care, uh, my uh, actually only moments ago, I, I, Allie's uh, surgery was uh, changed, schedule was changed. My wife, Allie, uh, diagnosed a couple of weeks ago with breast cancer. The initial indications are that it is treatable, operable. Um, she was scheduled to go under the knife uh, next Monday but they have delayed it a week because of problems uh staffing the surgical center on uh, uh on the day they first scheduled it so about 10 days from now 11 days from now uh she'll uh she'll have surgery the first step in what we trust is going to be um a healing journey and I'm just so grateful not to be going through this alone uh, it's not just Allie and me. You know, I, the Lord has done a wonderful thing in restoring our relationship. We have a good marriage. She is, once again, my best friend. Not my only friend, and she's grateful for that, but my best friend. We're very close. Uh, but it hasn't been just Nate and Allie against uh, cancer in this deal. We're part of a larger community. And I have especially been grateful for the men who I've been able to talk to. I with This thing, I think... I didn't take it as well as Allie did. Um, it hit the hit, the, the news that my wife had breast cancer, hit me like a train. And um, I'll tell you what: if I didn't have a phone full of uh, guys I could talk to, um, I don't know where I'd have been. I don't know where I'd have taken that fear. Uh, but now, you know, we're living with the reality. And uh, we've gotten, uh, you know, a few pieces of news that could be cause for alarm if we wanted to dwell on them. But most of the news that's come our way has been positive, and uh, we're hopeful. Allie has got a remarkable ability just to put unpleasant thoughts out of her mind. That may be the main reason we're still married. Um, some people call it denial. I choose to call it faith. And she believes that she's gonna be around to see our grandkids marry. And uh I believe so as well. So anyway, there it is. Awesome,
2: man. Wow incredible. Well yeah. we are I know there's a lot of people praying for you right now and they've been waiting for this update, so
0: yeah.
2: yeah. I'm I'm glad you are on air this week and I I got to have a great chat with Allie. When was that? Late last week and she is she is an extraordinary lady in her attitude.
1: Yeah. So it is very cool. That's beautiful. That's beautiful.
2: How's it going with you, Mondesi? Things are good, man. Uh,
3: just uh, it's really busy, um, and uh, but things are cool. I uh, took a little day off yesterday. I've been kind of you know burning the candle at both ends and. Uh, a buddy of mine and uh, we went out on the lake yesterday. Got in his boat and I uh, basically look like a lobster right now. Mm. And, and uh, you ever seen a black man look like a lobster? That's 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 interesting. Trust me. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so yeah, man. So I just took a day off yesterday just to kind of unwind and
2: uh, and back in the flow today,
3: man. So but things are cool. Things are good, man. Things are well.
0: Yeah. I
2: love that. I love that we educate people like this. Because when when we adopted our youngest son, that was part of our social worker meeting where
0: yeah. they had
2: to train white parents. Hey, just because your son's black, he can get a sunburn, so you must yeah. put sunscreen on him just like yeah. the other kid.
0: Yeah, and yeah.
2: it's fun watching a room full of parents go. Hmm. Oh. Okay.
3: <laughs> yeah, I, I think I missed that class, man. Because I'm like hurting no ear. <laughs> oh. That's
4: yeah.
2: Yeah, it, it was oh. good man, but uh so yeah, so, so we'll we'll have to you guys just float or fish or ski or what?
3: Man, we uh we just took the boat out in the middle of the lake and it was since it was Monday, there was nobody out there but us really. And uh, you know, we we, we went out there, we did some tubing, some knee boarding and uh then <laughs> we set out we, we sat out in the water and had you know, had some uh, adult beverages and uh, you know, just kinda hung out man and you know, talked, had some good conversations, some sandwiches and chips and you know. Just, just kind of hanging, man, and uh, you know, get in the water, cool off, get come out boat. You know, it's just back and forth all day. We were out there for about just six hours. It was fun.
2: So, uh, was, I love the picture of you out there kneeboarding. That's just a good picture. Yeah, it's a good picture, man. It's absolutely, yeah.
3: So, <laughs> the the, the, bell, the belly flop is never any fun. Trust me. <laughs> <Not>. <laughs>
2: uh-huh.
1: Aaron, uh, yeah. Uh, Aaron, are you done with the uh, concrete pouring business?
2: Yeah, no, I I got another uh, week and a half, two weeks left, but uh, good, we made our first shipment last Friday, and uh, super, super good, I'm actually, I'm in in high spirits on it right now, we've got our rhythm, and uh, the winery that we are selling this product to, I think, is is liking what we're producing, so it is... uh, it's good.
0: All right. It's
2: good. it's good. My body is is now fully accustomed. It's acclimated, so I am not coming home uh feeling like I did the first three days. There's nothing yeah. like a new type of work that your body's not used to. Yeah. Yeah. For your your back or your shoulders to say, What what are you doing? You
4: can't yeah. do this to me Uh,
2: so now it's it's stopped whining and now it's just fun. But I also got a really bad sunburn the first day, Mondo, so I'm feeling you. That was like a three-day uh, feeling it every time I went to bed.
1: So. Oh, yeah,
2: I
3: hear
1: <laughs>
2: you. Good,
1: Now, Nate, you have a letter, don't you? Yeah, I, I'm going to read an exchange. Uh, this happened actually uh, last week. Um, by the way, guys, thanks for stepping up, giving me a break last week. I really needed to be with Allie. We were in the middle of consultations with doctors and everything. And you did a great job, even uh, in the last-minute absence of a guest. Uh, you went ahead and had uh, what I thought was a very engaging and helpful conversation. Glad you did it. Uh, anyway, at about that time, I got this le- this letter through my Facebook page from a guy who writes, uh, I attended my first Samson meeting Monday night. Because I haven't had the type of male friendships since moving to Nashville in 2004 that I enjoyed in my previous city. Plus, my life is blowing up around me right now, and I need some perspective as well. In talking to someone today, he was shocked that I'd attended a meeting for those struggling with sexual addiction. Is that true? Is that the foundational issue that you deal with? I didn't think that was the case. Also, I don't know how to take some of the things I heard during the sharing time, things shared in strictest confidence. I I know these guys, including me, are all coming at life from different experiences, backgrounds, religious journeys, etc., but there seemed to be a sense of everyone is right, no one is wrong. It felt almost morally relativistic. How can I best view the group and participate? How do I prepare myself to be a good member. Well, I I wrote this back. Uh, I said, unfortunately, there's a popular misconception, which I do my best to dispel at every opportunity, that the Samson Society is a group for sex addicts. That idea is due mostly, or most likely, to the fact that for the time being, at least, I'm the Samson guy with the highest public profile, and I talk openly about my own battle with sex addiction. We started the society to give men a chance to bring their real selves into a room right in the middle of the church where it's safe enough to say the real truth about how we really, they really feel, think, doubt, and believe. Our aim is authentic brotherhood, which of course begins with authenticity. This kind of authenticity gets messy. Some guys, especially those who are testing the safety of the group, will occasionally say shocking things just to see whether they'll get a negative reaction. These guys may expect to get the left foot of fellowship, but they get a respectful hearing instead. I'll admit I sometimes get nervous in meetings, and if a guy seems to be drifting away from gospel-centered grace into the dangerous waters of legalism or moral relativism, I may arrange to meet with him privately outside the meeting for a talk. In the meeting, however... I do my best to acknowledge honestly, however uh, uh, to uh, to acknowledge honesty, however troubling or unorthodox, uh, uh, however troubling or unorthodox its expression, and I'm grateful that the structure of the meeting does not allow the formal meeting to degenerate into moralistic sermonizing or doctrinal disputes. My advice is for you to you uh, is for you to attend a couple more meetings of the society, of society maybe. Trying out one or two of the other groups in our area before making a final decision about whether Samson is for you. Maybe it isn't. If not, I'm sure God has another band of brothers that needs your company as badly as you need theirs. Well, he did. Uh, I, got, I got a good response from him. Uh, thanks for the reply. I definitely plan on attending more meetings. I joined the online community today and I appreciated the list of issues which showed the breadth of the Samson Society's reach. I've since been in contact with the guy. He's connected. He's in. He's found his place. Uh, any reaction to the letter, guys, or how would you have responded differently? No, I think I think you're right. Part
2: of the purpose of me being the co-host here is to elevate other issues, like people who struggle, like myself, with awesomeness, instead of, you know,
0: <laughs> your... <laughs>
2: your kind of issue and, and that makes yeah. people feel more included. Yeah. Uh, that's important. I I think this highlights the, uh, once again, the need for the meeting after the meeting and if people uh, are setting up meetings without a meeting after the meeting, they're going to be missing out on a key component uh, for those private conversations. So you right. can keep the meeting safe and where you feel like, oh, something felt a little off with that conversation or what that guy was saying. That's the place where you can have that, that talk. That's um, yeah. so important. And uh, you, people just, uh, the, those three components, the meeting, the meeting after the meeting, and the side list, that's the package. And, and you can't ditch one of those and have it work the way it was intended to work. Cause that's community and that's friendship. Uh, the rest is just a meeting. The other part, too, is remembering uh that we are all natural judges, right? That's right. There yeah, right. Yeah, every right. time, which means when other people talk, uh, I think most of us tend to slip into judgment sometimes where we say, well, that's that seems wrong the way they're phrasing it or they're not bringing in this Bible verse or this doctrinal concept. But I was just talking to a pastor this morning about remembering that everything I know or think I know about God and his word came through a whole journey of however many years I've been walking with God. So for me to expect other people to just be where I'm at because I tell them some bit of truth that God grew in me is both unfair and ridiculous because faith is a gift. Faith comes from God and it's grown. Maturity is something that grows. So this is a journey where we walk with people. We don't just judge where people are at. We enter into the journey with them. Yeah. And sometimes having a difficult person in a group is the biggest way we grow as people. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So that's what I would add to that. Anything you got, Mondesi? Mondesi? I'm just looking at your name up here on our special screen.
5: You picked oh, yeah, the name.
2: Uh, I'm using it, buddy. Uh, okay, go ahead.
3: <laughs> well, you know, I, I agree with you, Aaron. I mean, I think, um, you know, I, I find myself doing uh, slipping into judgment, you know, and um, you know, and I have to, I have to remember, you know, um, I'm doing the very thing I'm hoping the guys don't do to me, mm-hmm.
0: you know,
3: and. <laughs> You know, and that's part of you know when I first went to a meeting, you know, and before I actually it was my turn to share, and, and I'm like, oh crap, you know, I hope these guys don't judge me. I hope they, you know, I hope I say everything correctly, you know. I hope I back it up with the scripture so they know I'm actually saved, you know. Um, you know, all, all these different, all these different things. You know what I mean? I just, just kind of, kind of walking on, on thin ice and walking on pins and needles. And um, but then I realized, you know, so, okay, well somebody else was sharing i I looked at it and I was like man okay let me let me offer this guy the gift that I wanted to get from him, you know mm. uh, the, the companionship on the journey you know and and so i and honestly man, anytime I sit with 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 guys, whether it be a meeting or outside of a uh, outside of a meeting at a coffee shop or something, I immediately remind myself of that you know i i'm I have a little practice of saying a little prayer uh as I'm sitting down with the guy. And it's really quick, but just to you know, Lord, remind me to be in, the, in a place of brotherhood and, and walking with, and not judgment. Allow me to be good. Allow me to be a great listener and not a good speaker. Mm. You know, and 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 I just hit it real quick, and just to kind of put my mind and my spirit in the right place, because I can find myself quickly slipping into just eating somebody up, based upon yeah. what they're saying. So, um, so yeah, I think it's. I think it could be somewhat of a natural thing, like we say, you know, we're natural judges. I mean, that, that's the reality, but uh, but it doesn't mean we have to stay there. So, yeah,
2: yeah, right. yeah. Well, I am super excited about our guest today because I think that she is the only person that
5: we've read an
2: entire blog from.
5: Yeah, Especially yeah,
2: yeah. So, so let's. Let's remind our listeners real quick before we tell them to warm up their uh, dialing fingers about that blog that we read of hers from her uh, her blog site, which is called the, uh, the the very worst Jamie the very worst
1: missionary. Yeah, actually, the, the 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 web address is theveryworstmissionary.com. Yeah, and and that blog. Tell
2: remind them about it because you read it so well.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, let me just read just a piece of it again. Um, uh, my youngest son... ...totally eight balls. I will be mom to three teenage boys. That means our dinner table feels like a locker room, if locker rooms were full of nerds. The conversation tumbles easily from Xbox to music to girls to Minecraft to push-ups to girls to movies to farts to money to girls to YouTube and then back again in an endless loop so that over and over during the course of one meal, we come around to the subject of girls at least nine times. At least. She goes on to say uh, that she was an unwed teenage mother. We'll kind of get into this later. Uh... But I love the way she concludes uh, this, uh, this blog. She says, It took me a lot of years and a lot of conversations with God and with people who know more about God than me to understand that everything I believed about my own sexuality was built on two huge lies. The first comes from our culture, and it tells us that sex outside of marriage isn't a big deal. The second is from the church, and it tells us that sex outside of marriage is the biggest deal of all deals ever. One allowed me to give it away freely, convinced that I would carry no burden. The other forced me to carry a spirit-crushing load. Both are complete crap. Uh, and you can read the whole blog at uh, Jamie's web address, and we're going to get her Uh, on the line here, we're going to have a conversation with Jamie, the worst missionary ever right after we listen to this uplifting song we'll be back in a moment Hey. Radio extravaganza here, um, live on the air with the woman who has become my favorite blogger on the internet. One of the uh, uh, a powerful uh, voice, uh, a Christian voice, who uses uh, humor in a, in a remarkable way they are going to break stereotypes uh, to say things that badly need to be said. Jamie Wright, thank you. Jamie, the very worst missionary, thank you so much for joining us.
6: Thanks for having me.
2: I'm, I'm uh, so glad, Nate, that you gave the address to her blog, because I just Googled her, Yeah. and first I ended up with the uh, NHL player from the oh. Dallas Stars, Jamie Wright. And I thought, man, that woman is ugly, and... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> then, then I got Jamie Wright, the professional nerd and independent software developer, and he has a beard, so I thought, okay, so she's uh, from some Eastern European country, and then about fifth down, I found her spot, so I'm yeah. glad you just went straight to giving the address, but that would have been helpful to me.
6: Usually usually people don't know that I'm Jamie Wright. They think that the very worst missionary is my last name, so that's, <laughs> that's my Google persona like that's how you find me that's the only way to find me or (laughs) if you google terrible missionary awful missionary um worst missionary ever that kind of stuff you'll i'll pop right up (laughs) (laughs) so how did
2: you become the very worst missionary ever
6: well um i became a missionary and i sucked at it so (laughs) i just sort of self-proclaimed title (laughs) so it, it, it it wasn't hard it wasn't hard to do um, my husband and I were living in the suburbs. He was a cop, and I was a stay-at-home mom. And we just said, I mean, it, it was a very—it's a very long, complicated story. But we ended up um, selling everything and, and moving to Costa Rica, where um, he thrived and our kids thrived, and I fell flat on my face. So I started right. writing this blog from you know that perspective of just being like, what am what am I doing here? Yeah. So. Yeah. So what? And that what was in 2008. You started. Uh, you yeah, know, I don't know. I, I mean, I, I yeah, I probably started. I probably started writing in two thousand eight.
2: Yeah.
6: Yeah.
2: Okay. So, so how did you fall flat on your face in Costa Rica?
6: Well, I learned that um, I hate speaking Spanish, hate it with a passion, and that I'm not good at it. <laughs> and um, that okay, so I'm a, among many of my neuroses. I'm a terrible perfectionist. And so, not you know, not being able to communicate well was almost it was just debilitating. And when you're a missionary, your job is kind of to be a part of the community and you know um, meet people and get to know them and, and talk to them. So you know, the the, th- the not being able to grab onto Spanish and like really embrace it and love speaking it was um, it just made it really easy for me to want to hide in my house you know, send my kids out the door in the morning and send my husband off to work and then just hide in the house and not have to engage anyone because I mm. felt so, it was embarrassing, you know, and who wants to be embarrassed all the time?
2: Mm. So how did you walk through that? Where did that journey end up for you?
6: Well, I felt um, really worthless and really like, like I just wasn't sure what I was doing there and um, that out of that, this kind of this blog was born, and the response to the blog was um, was so affirming and positive, And I just, it, it became it, it became the thing that I could hang on to. That I was like, oh, I, I have a purpose. I can turn this mess around, and I can at least share my experiences, um, and and hopefully connect with people that way. Because I wasn't doing, I wasn't really doing it well in the field.
1: Yeah. And did you get a strong response from other missionaries?
6: Yes. Yeah, yeah. absolutely.
1: Yeah, People I just found... felt like
6: Go ahead. People just felt like there was someone else saying the things that they were thinking. Mm. You know, it was just finally out loud somewhere.
1: Mm. Yeah, is it amazing how the internet has uh changed the world of the missionary? I I served as an intern for a field uh field director for a mission organization in East Africa in the late 70s when people out on mission stations were, I mean, very isolated. Mm -hmm. Uh, I I went back last year or two years ago and found that even in remote villages, there was a satellite connection to the Internet. uh, And uh, so now there was at least some communication between folks. And of course that yep. brought with it all the attendant evils of the internet as well as all its benefits absolutely uh, yeah and uh i i don't know you' uh, you've been writing recently, jamie, you kind of opened a can of worms i I don't know what kind of response you got to uh to uh, i i don't I don't know how to capsulize the uh the blog, but you talked about how, you know, m- Missionary, uh, the, uh, Missions is a billion dollar uh, enterprise mm-hmm. uh, with not a lot of accountability, uh, that if you learn to, um, if you honor the code, if you use the code well, if you can convince folks who are writing the checks that you're doing worthwhile things, even you have to, if you have to recast what you're actually doing. Mm-hmm. Um, If you're, uh, you can get by on the mission field doing very little, Mm -hmm. and
0: uh,
1: you you made the point, and I hadn't heard anybody actually say it before. I certainly thought it from my time on the mission field. I saw hardworking missionaries who did thankless jobs in the trenches, doing stuff that wasn't sexy, being faithful, being very. But I also saw folks who were just living the life of Riley, Uh, Mm -hmm. but they knew how to collect uh the stories and they knew how to take the slides um and you made the statement that every missionary can tell you about missionaries that really don't i, I forget how you put it but
6: uh, that aren't really doing anything
1: yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, yeah 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 have you how kind of a response have you gotten for you've kind of you've kind of issued a call for some kind of uh accountability connection trying to wake up the local church uh, uh, uh on the, on this side yeah,
6: yeah it's i mean we it, it's just this funny thing that we have you know missions is just it's like this giant machine, and we are able to touch almost everyone in the world um through what what the north American church called missions and um and and yet there's no like standards of practice there's no
0: mm-hmm.
6: really virtually no accountability. <laughs> In a lot of cases. Now, and like you said, there are some missionaries that are working really hard and are doing amazing things and are really necessary to the world. But, um, but there are a lot that who, a lot of people who aren't doing much or who haven't aren't fulfilling their mission or, or whatever you want to call it. And so, you know, it, it's it's something that I think when you start talking about and um, when you talk about things in the church that are broken, when you point out things and you say, you say I think this. Is broken, or I think we could do this better. People get pissed. Like some people, <laughs> would be like, "How dare you? How yeah, dare yeah. you say that?" Like we need to be unified, and um, and so they throw this unity card at you, and they say you can't say anything bad about anyone in the church because, um, you know, you're 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 not unified, and and yeah. you know, what? I think that's crap. I think that's it's not fair. It's not right. And to say we're just going to let anybody do anything they want because they're doing it under the name of Jesus is a joke.
0: Mm. And so
6: to be able to kind of say, Hey, let's talk about this, for me, I think it's incredibly valuable. I think it's it's so important. And honestly the response is mixed. There are some people that love it, there are some people that hate it, but there's a really healthy conversation coming like happening in between. In between yeah. the people that are totally like, oh my gosh, this is the best thing ever and the people that are like, You're gonna burn in hell There is <laughs> <laughs> this healthy conversation happening, yeah. and it's necessary and good, and and I love it.
5: Well, this mm. is this is a double-edged
2: sword conversation because it's not just talking mm-hmm. about what's happening in the local church, but you are calling for people that have quote sacrificed their mm-hmm. comforts and their lives, so they're almost above reproach or beyond questioning by virtue of that sacrifice, but because you've been there, you have more authority and more of a right to say, well, hold on, we can still have a conversation about whether or not that sacrifice is being given appropriately. Mm-hmm.
0: Right, but that, right, that, absolutely. that is
2: doubly dangerous. Uh, most people would not feel comfortable questioning a missionary because they feel like they haven't sacrificed as much as even what the worst missionary uh, well, I guess you're the worst missionary. But the that's you know me. other that's bad ones would lead, have sacrificed. Mm-hmm.
6: Mm-hmm. But so. you know it, it's it, it we can't we can't have a church that lets people be untouchable. We can't have a church that says our leadership and our missionaries and our our you know holy people are untouchable and unquestionable. That's that's not healthy. It's not good.
0: Right. And I think yeah. it breeds
6: shame in people. You know, if you think that missionaries are special that they're not looking at porn and they're not um you know starving right. themselves or or battling the same things that every other person on the planet is struggling with That that's just crazy yeah
0: yeah.
6: they're human and because they're human we should be we should be holding them to, to standards of accountability
1: yeah yeah um I'm glad you did kind of open that door. I mean, I do know, because I talk a lot about sex addiction, that's my my struggle. Um, I get to be the porn guy where I go. I'm well aware that porn is a huge problem uh, among missionaries, just Mm -hmm. as it is, by the way, among pastors. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah, and so let's not pretend. It's dangerous uh, for those we put on the pedestal. And for those of us who put them on the pedestal, for the pedestal mm-hmm. even to exist, yeah. yeah. That's,
2: that, that's got to be as surprising to other people as, you know, you say that. And my mind immediately pictures some, uh, you know, person in in a village somewhere in a hut with a laptop. And I'm like, well, how is that even working out for them? So uh, <laughs> really, that's not something that would come to my mind. Mm-hmm. Right, like but there's
6: not there's just not a lot of places in the world anymore. <clears throat> I mean there there are places that, that don't have internet and don't have, you know, easy accessibility or, or whatever. And um you know, sometimes I would like to move to one of those places just to get away from it. But
0: yeah.
6: but I don't you know, missions has changed a lot. And and missionaries a lot of missionaries are very well funded. They live um <clears throat> very comfortable lives
0: Mm-hmm.
6: And that's not to say that living overseas in and of itself is difficult. It's hard, and, and that needs to be part of the, the conversation. But, um, you know, most missionaries are are taking all the baggage that they – all the habits and all the baggage that they have from the state right along with them. It doesn't go away. We don't get to leave it behind. And so oh. uh, oftentimes
2: so they just hmm? – I was going to say, what's the best way to love and support – missionaries, um, you know, we do, Hey, I got a letter. I'm going to pray for them. Mm -hmm. That's, that's good. But what are some other ways people maybe don't think about that would be very helpful for missionaries? I think it
6: it, it all boils down to having a relationship with them, you know, and, and actually getting to know the missionaries that you support and supporting them deeply so that rather than supporting, you know, 50 missionaries at, you know, 20 bucks a month or whatever, you just support one family really deeply, and you get to know them, and you know their birthdays, and you you know them mm. as human beings, so that you can connect with them. One of the things that I think would be really cool is would be if um, church communities started getting together and saying, asking missionaries, who who are your best friends? Because we're going to send them to you for two weeks. Wow. We're send you two people for two weeks because that that speaks to uh, the heart of that of the missionary. That's like refreshes their souls to just say mm. hey we're going to give you people that know you well enough to talk to you about deep and dark things and to love you and and enjoy your 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 new country with you i mean i just think that would be so huge
1: what a great idea right yeah that's
6: an awesome idea <laughs> yeah um
1: now uh, you are now uh you b- built yourself recently as the very worst pastor's wife. I read yeah. I read that I read that blog to my wife this morning and she had uh, a 5 year experience being a pastor's wife. You know, uh, lo- lo- those many years ago and she's still scarred and quivering from the experience. Uh, <laughs> she, she laughed her ass off. I mean she really just howled. Um as I read her that blog. Um You're in Northern California? And now now she
2: has to sit on one of those inflatable donuts, and it's all your fault. And I said ass, but I'm
1: sorry. Okay. Uh, Is
6: that allowed? Are we not allowed to say ass?
1: Yes, we are allowed. You can say ass. Okay. You most certainly (laughs) can.
6: Usually people
1: warn me if they don't. (laughs) sometimes. Yeah, I think we've transgressed, I think, almost every uh, linguistic line, haven't we? Have we crossed every line? Funny, it's always you actually. Oh, okay. But yeah, I, I think uh, I think yes. So I but, want
2: to hear more about this. How are this you, a pastor's word? wife? We have Jamie. I'm, yeah, Tell us about I want you. you to give my wife some ideas.
6: <laughs> Is she a pastor's wife as well? Um, Jesus. Yeah. We go to we. I I I want to say this first and foremost. We love our church. We have a yeah. wonderful wonderful church. And my husband's not the head pastor, so I think that. Um, Relieves a lot of burden, and you know so it's really different but um but it is definitely there's this like subculture of pastors' wives, and and you you all of a sudden you're kind of living in in a fishbowl and people like you walk into church and people are watching you or or um you know it's, it's just it's different it's mm-hmm. definitely a different thing and and feeling like you know if people are watching am i Am I held to these standards of behavior that I need to to abide by? Do I need to start wearing denim dresses and carrying a Bible because I don't I don't do that? Like that's not mm-hmm. that's not comfortable for me. And um, in fact, last week, like somebody, that we were at church and somebody said, "Okay, take out your Bibles." And everybody got out their iPhones, you know, and we were all looking at our phones and I my, and you know pulling up our apps. And uh, to my husband, I was like, "Oh my gosh, my Bible is really slow today." <laughs>
4: <laughs>
6: Not loading, and I was like, "Oh, this is a whole new world. This is a whole new world." So God, you know, the Bible uh,
2: is really slow. I'm just gonna <laughs> let that sink in for a second, Jamie. <laughs> <laughs> it
6: was. It, it was my fault. It was the app, but um, it just you know, it, it's it's different, and there there are people that kind of want to get to know you for for they have motives, you know, ulterior motives to to wanting mm-hmm. to know you or get close to your spouse or. Um, which is which is interesting, and I think I don't think that's always the case. I mean, I have I have great great friends here um, who who don't care at all that I'm a pastor's wife, and technically I'm a director's wife. I always feel like I need to clarify that, yeah. um, but you know he, his role is very pastorly, so everybody thinks he's a pastor. Yeah. yeah. But you know I'm I'm coarse and and some people would say abrasive, and that's not really. Um, and I don't really like people that much. I mean, I like some people, but, I, you know, I just, I don't really embody the typical, I think, what people would really hope for in a pastor's wife. But our church knows this really well, and they knew what they were getting when they when they brought us here. So it's all good. So what, it's all good.
2: <laughs> what was your biggest surprise? Because uh, coming in as a pastor's wife, different than being a missionary's wife, obviously. So what was the, the biggest surprise to you?
6: Um, oh gosh, I don't
1: know. It was I all don't know. I, well, uh, well oh, I, 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 did, go ahead. Well,
2: I was just curious if it was all kind of the way you thought it would be or, but go ahead, Nate, you have a, a
1: better uh, question. I was, gonna, I was just going to get her off the hook and ask her a different question. She's got, you've got three teenage boys, right? Yes. 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 Um, is it tougher, uh, being a mom to those boys, now that you're in Northern California, than it was in Costa Rica? Has it changed uh, yes. in any way? In oh, what I, ways has I it absolutely changed?
6: think it's harder. My yeah. kids went, my two younger, my oldest is 19. He graduated from high school in Costa Rica, um, second in his class mm. of two. <laughs> so, <laughs> second and last. But um, he, so, you know, we're not doing school anymore with him, but, uh, or, or, you know, we're not in charge of his life, but our, Two younger boys went from a very very small private Christian school in Costa Rica, where the kids wore uniforms and the teachers were super involved because you know there were like nine eighth graders mm-hmm. and you know thirteen sixth graders or whatever and um the teachers loved the kids and they knew them and they knew you know how they worked and and you know they were just it was a very close environment and then yeah. we moved to northern California and our my I, we enrolled our son, who was a freshman, in a school of, like, 5,000 kids. And um, and our, our other son as a seventh grader in, in again, a really huge middle school. Um, and so that that was painful to watch, just watch them have to kind of adjust and learn how to live and make friends. And, you know, we tried really hard to avoid giving our kids that, like, missionary kid syndrome where they're, like, just, like, dorky and they wear clothes that are too small for them and they don't know how to like make eye contact but um and our kids are really cool but still once you've lived somewhere else you know they lived overseas for five years they were introduced to a totally different culture um and it did sink in and so there's really no way to avoid that kind of third culture kid thing you know Mm -hmm. so they do feel different i think i don't think it's necessarily a bad thing but it's definitely been hard um raising them here because there's so much more influence. There's so many more kids. They have, you know, the internet on their phones and it's just it's different. It's it's harder here.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um I wonder if I can uh change subjects a little bit. I was really taken. This is another blog that I read to my wife this morning. Uh by something you wrote just a month ago. A blog you titled, Flabby Thighs and Flappable Confidence. You're talking about female uh, Mm self-image. If I can read just a bit of it for our listeners, and I'd love for you to just kind of expand on it, talk about it. Uh, I'm jumping into the middle of it. When I was uh, 14, I walked into a room just as Pamela Anderson was making a mad dash down the beach on Baywatch. For those of you who don't know, Baywatch was a 90s TV show where hot people rescued ugly people from the ocean or something. As she ran through the sand, hair whipping, bronze flesh glimmering in the sun, a man in the room hissed. That girl needs to tone up if she's going to run in a skimpy bathing suit. His voice was dripping with disgust. Pamela Anderson, you guys, Pamela Anderson needed to tone up. If Pamela Pamela freaking Anderson was a flabby cow in 1990, what was I to make of my own newly rounded hips and curving thighs, my freshly minted female form? If I ran on the beach, would the flapping of my soft arms and the jiggling of my spongy butt make men of all ages throw up in their mouths? Was I gross? All I knew was that I was no Pamela Anderson, and if she needed to tone up, then I needed a fairy godmother and a genie to fall in love and have a baby because it would take a fairy god genie to make me beautiful. And so began the battle that rages within me still, a war between genuine health and perceived beauty, which, for the most part, has been a losing battle. I imagine you've gotten quite a response to this uh, blog, Mm
6: -hmm. and I'm
1: wondering where the conversations have gone.
6: Um, you know, I I think ab- absolutely there was a great response and I uh, it, it touched home with, for a lot of women because this is just something that we live with day in and day out, pretty much I think for our whole lives. I've, I've just sort of resigned myself to the fact that even when I'm 80, I'm still going to be um, a little bit perturbed by the way that I look and feel in my own skin. And so, you know, I think it just really it um, was touching for a lot of women. And Mm -hmm. we judge, women judge each other. We, you know, it's Mm
0: -hmm. natural.
6: We look at each other and we make comparisons. And if we're standing in a room with other women, we make comparisons. And we're always picking out, you know, who's better looking and who's got better ankles and who's got, you know, whatever, the best hair or whatever. So, Mm -hmm. you know, kind of breaking that down and realizing that every woman in the room is, you know, feels Inferior in some mm-hmm. way it, it just evens the playing field It just says, yeah. hey, we're all doing this We're all um, Struggling with You know, standing next to Pamela Anderson Yeah. So, it was good It was good
1: I, um, yeah, the best the uh, To me, the greatest line in the whole blog Was this one I swear the most dangerous place in the world For my body is my mind uh <laughs> wow. Now that uh, it's amazing that that sense of dread that sticks out in your memory when you were around 14 was something that a man said, right? And I you know, I do wonder. I do know that we've been told by good friends of ours here on the podcast that the only people on the planet who look at women's bodies more than men are other women. Mhm. But nonetheless, I'm very aware that the way men objectify women and the way they communicate with that uh, s- uh, certainly has got to help drive this uh, neurosis, and and, and sometimes will just kick off this panic. Would you agree?
6: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I think it's um, I think it's very cultural. You know, we've made the human body into um, an idol instead of just a body you know just a a tool to be used and 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 so we our perceptions of our own bodies and other people's bodies are just totally overinflated yeah and so when you know when your value becomes based on what men think of of how you look i mean in seventh grade when all the girls started you know getting boobs there mm-hmm. were um the boys started doing surveys, like who has the best boobs? We were twelve years old, yeah, you know and and finding out who, in our little cliques had the best bodies, you know, yeah. so it starts so young and um and you know it's normal it's it's normal for boys to look at girls, you guys were designed right. to do that, mm-hmm. um but we have just like it's just become such a perversion, yeah. and I don't mean like. I don't mean that in, like, a condemning way. I just mean culturally, like, we have made the human body into so much more than it was meant to be. Does that make
1: sense? It sure does. It sure does. Um, I, I love the way uh, you, you, you came close, to, uh, you, you wrapped the blog. You said, I don't think God wants me to hate my container, or anybody mm-hmm. else's for that matter, and I don't think he wants me to love it too much. It is, after all, just the wrapping paper for the gift that lies inside. I believe God wants me to be gentle with myself. He wants me to be kind. He wants me to respect His miraculous creation. Uh, now, your husband, who uh, I love, you call him El Chupacabra. Uh, uh, his
6: real name is Steve.
1: Okay, good.
6: He has a name.
1: <laughs> uh, and you
6: say at the beginning
1: of this of, of this blog that uh, that he that he thinks you're sexy. Uh, he communicates that to you. How 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 integral is the reflection that you see in your husband's eyes to the maintenance of your own self image? Um,
6: it, you know, it, it's such a that's such a tenuous thing because you know, marriage is so hard and relationships are so hard. And he has so much baggage and I have so much baggage. And when you put it together, it just makes it puts us both. Um, it can put us both in a really ugly spot where. You know, he tells me I'm beautiful, but I don't believe him. And yeah. you know, it, it's just it's it's crazy. But um, but it's really important. It's really important for me to know that, or to believe that when I walk into a room with him, he's happy to be seen with me, and that he's mm-hmm. proud of me as his wife. And um, and not in a trophy way, but in a this is this is my wife. You know, like. I don't know. It's it's really important to me to know that he finds me attractive and and um and honestly that he would choose me over another woman. And I know that sounds that's pretty shallow, but um but it's imp- it's just feels important to me.
2: I and I don't think it is shallow because I think so much of what happens in marriage is supposed to be a reflection of God's relationship with us.
0: Mm-hmm. And
2: the fact that uh it's breast in the Song of Solomon, I am my beloved and he is mine. Well, you can mm-hmm. look at that and say, well, that sounds very possessive. That sounds inappropriate. But it's not. It's beautiful. And the fact that God chose me and what he thinks of me changes how I see myself, I think all of that is built into marriage on
6: purpose. Right. And I don't think
2: it's inappropriate. I think it's very appropriate.
6: Right. And, and I think it speaks to I'm sorry. <laughs>
2: Oh, go ahead. I just think that's why we have to take it seriously. How we reflect to one another what we see.
6: Yeah. yeah, and I think it speaks to the the connection that we're intended to have with our our spouse. Like we're supposed to be that connected. We're the, the one flesh thing. When we got married, our um, the guy that married us told us about like how you know he was supposed to leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. And then he said, you know, like. A, like a meat cleaver how a meat cleaver tears flesh apart you're supposed to be one flesh and um and i think to me that that the picture of that makes so much sense because when we are not feeling connected that's exactly how bad it, it feels like we're literally being torn apart and um so yeah yeah i think it's we're, we're just made to have that those feelings of like connection and 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 i would say monogamy but
1: yeah uh, well, if I could bring it back around to sex, we're we're uh, we've got about another five minutes or so here on the show, and uh, of course you always say uh, it's a rule of show business, isn't it? You say the sex till the end. you uh, uh, we still got gotcha? you. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. All right. Um, you. Uh, you talk about having these ongoing conversations with your boys about sex, and you talk about the two massive lies that you learned uh as you were uh finding your finding your bearings as a christian mm-hmm. uh you know there's there's the lie that the world tells, which says that you know sex before marriage is nothing it won't cost you anything, and then there's the lie that very much uh, uh, that the church tends to tell a lot, which is sex before marriage is the biggest deal ever mm-hmm. um, and both are complete crap uh, can you expand on that to, uh, to, uh, talk a little bit out of your own experience and uh, if you if you 'd uh, honor us with a little bit of uh, allow us to overhear some with your boys how does how does this go and how do you deal with the reality of the hormones that are raging through your home
6: right um for me the the whole church and sex thing has always been a little bit of a hot button because I had I got pregnant when I was 17 and had a baby Mm -hmm. and I got married with a baby Um, so you know there's no out you can't pretend I can't pretend like I was a virgin on my wedding day and so the way that the church teaches about sex, and the the the, um, the what I don't know what the word is, the stories we use or the the applications that we use, like when we you know they have everyone spit into a cup and and ask, well would anyone want to drink this or yeah, yeah. You
0: know, would know,
6: anyone want to chew chew a used piece of gum or or whatever these they they say they're horrible they're yeah. horrible because you know like fifty percent of the girls in the room have already had sex. Yeah, Like this is just a fact, mm-hmm. and um, and what we're telling those girls is that you're you're not valuable, you're yeah. worthless. Like you, this you can't you can't take it back, and um, it really really matters, and you're just condemned. This is it. That's it. You had one chance and you blew it.
0: Mm-hmm.
6: And you know that's just so unhealthy and it's so unfair and it doesn't. That's not that's not what Christ means to us. Yes. You know, like the church should be removing shame. We should be, be yes. helping people understand that when they accept Christ, they're accepting freedom from mm. their shame. And so, you know, when we the way we teach about sex is just so it's shameful. It's yeah. shameful. And 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 of course the the on the opposite side, you know, I grew up in a house that was like, Well, you're probably gonna do it, you know. So let, let us know and we'll give you birth control. But I was too embarrassed to tell my parents right? Um, because I was too young to be having sex and I knew it. Yeah. Um, and so I wasn't going to go to them and say like, you know, I know I'm a freshman, but could you get me some birth control?
0: Mm-hmm. Um.
6: And so, you know, I didn't have those conversations with my parents and I ended up pregnant and, and, you know, and I could have ended up with worse. So yeah. Um. it's just, but but I believed that it was no big deal. I believed yeah. that I could just go to parties and have sex with boys, and that I wouldn't. There would be no burden, and there would be no consequences, and there would be um, that it would not affect my heart or my spirit. And that was a lie too. Yeah. So finding some middle ground where we say, "Hey, this matters, and um, it's important, and we're called to sexual purity," um, but if you've already cross some lines if you've lived a life that hasn't been sexually pure you're still good with God like you're you're it's all good because of Jesus and so and to give people opportunity to reclaim their sexual purity to say hey yeah. this isn't about a one time act this is about a lifetime of self control and and character building and um you know and investing in your marriage and you know all kinds of things it's not about one single act. Yeah. 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 So with my boys, um, ugh, they're the most awkward conversation <laughs> ever. Like you can't even, they just look they stare at me like, oh God, she's talking about sex again. But, um, <laughs> but it's like a really big deal to me. You know, as far as like, I don't want them to grow up and feel like I didn't, like I ignored this. Yeah. Um, and, and I understand that they are, you know, in a lot of ways autonomous and I, I don't get to control their every move. And, Um, you know, they're 13, 15, and 19, and and they have a certain amount of freedom, you know, given each of their ages, and, and, you know, at some point they have to live with the, the choices that they make, but, um... I'm I'm crazy about the conversation. So when they are leaving the house,
0: mm-hmm. I'll be
6: like, "So you're not gonna have sex with anyone, right?" Um, because I think that would be a bad idea. And this is why. And they're just like, "Mom, shut up! Stop talking!" Like, and I'm like, no, 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 no. "It's real quick, real quick. Just one more time. Like, um, do you need a condom? Because I hope not, but uh, <laughs> you know, I just I honestly I don't know if I'm saying the right thing. Um yeah. But it's better than saying nothing. That's yeah. how I feel. I feel like like, I, I have to say something and we have to be having this conversation, I, mostly because I want them to know that that I'm comfortable with this and I'm cool with it and if they need to talk to me, um, that this is just not a big deal. We talk about it all the time.
1: Right. So, or just okay, exactly before. like the house I grew up in, not
2: <laughs> – yeah, <laughs> Hey, we've got a call from Mike in the Central Coast here who's got a question for Jamie. So I want to pick up on Mike
5: here. So, Mike, you are on the air. Awesome. Hey, Jamie, I appreciate your boldness and your frankness, and I've been reading your blog as well. And I I got a question because this is something that I have struggled with as a father, my own self-image, and I know some friends that right now are in crisis mode as well. Um, You stated on your blog that you viewed yourself as a fat chick growing up. Um, According to the church, you failed the sexuality test. You sucked at being a missionary, and you struggle being a pastor's wife as well. How do you deal with those things when – how do you deal with these things from a woman's standpoint when your kids do something? Because I imagine – you thought a lot like, oh, gosh, I failed here, I failed there, I failed there. And then when you start seeing your kids go through some of those struggles as young adults, how do you, how do you as a woman, because I've never heard anybody that's as bold as you, how do you deal with those things when Satan sets, sits there and says, well, guess what, Jamie or Mike? You suckers a parent because mm-hmm. your son or daughter failed the sexuality test. Your kid's image isn't good. Your kids are failing in business or job wise or wherever. How do you deal with it Jamie?
6: um Wow, that's a good question. I would definitely add you know very worth mother to my list of non accomplishments um <laughs> that you know so i don't I'm probably the last person that should be giving uh parenting advice or whatever but i'll I'll say this um i I just don't think any of us really get it right when it comes to parenting because our kids are so unique and so you know they have their own process and they have their own experiences and and honestly, my kid's growth experience like growing up is so different than my own because even because we moved overseas and back and you know um so for me, it's about kind of paying attention and and walking through their failures with them um I'm, I'm obviously not that bent out of shape uh, over my failures. Like, it's just part of my life, and and mm-hmm. um, it doesn't really destroy my self-image. Like, I'm, I'm just mm-hmm. okay with it. Um, but as a parent, it's way harder to watch your kids struggle. It's way harder mm-hmm. to watch your kids flail. And, and I'm not going to lie, my kids are by no means perfect. One of my kids got an F in science this year, and an F, like, on their report card. And... Um, mm-hmm. You know, people think our world is ending, and
5: you
6: know, <laughs> um, you know we're, he's going to be a bum. He's going to live under a bridge. We don't, we're never going to see him after he turns eighteen. It's just, you know, um, it, it just feels really ugly. And 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 in large part, it it was because of my failings as a parent and my failings to stay on top of him. It's not like I. It, it wasn't a surprise, um, and so a big struggle of mine as a parent is letting my husband parent as well. And, Mm -hmm. and remembering that we're a partnership and that we both have something super valuable to bring to the table. And so for me, it's, it's a lot of like, okay, I need to step back and let him step in. And, and also I need to understand that my kids make their own decisions and we give them, you know, freedom and we help guide them and help them make smart choices. But, um, Ultimately, they're going to grow up and they're going to, you know, deal with their own lives. And and no person reaches adulthood thinking their parents did a perfect job. I mean, maybe a few people do. And honestly, well, me, once you become an Sorry.
2: No, go ahead. You're saying honestly.
6: Well, once you become an adult, that becomes... It's just kind of... I think it becomes your problem. Like, mm-hmm. get over it or get counseling or whatever.
2: Yeah. <laughs> let me Let me see if I can... Summarize some of what you're saying, and and then if I'm wrong, um, just say I'm right. So <laughs> here you are, the the worst missionary ever, the worst pastor's wife ever. You know, a, a lot of tongue-in-cheek stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But what I see underneath is a person who is saying, "All right, I'm going to confront areas of my life that have been struggles or could be shame." but I want to deal with those up front and find a true identity in Christ and not play a game around the edges and that the more areas of your life you do that with, because it sounds like you're doing that in every area of your life, the more you're able to let go of responsibility that should be put on the cross and not borne
6: by you. Well, I think that's a lot more eloquent than what I said, but yes, yeah. I and mean, at some point you just have to accept that um that shame isn't your burden anymore.
1: Yeah.
6: It's not it's not you're not intended to live in shame. And
1: and I love that we're back there. That is um I believe, you know, that the western church is preoccupied with guilt when the bigger mm-hmm. the bigger issue, guilt has been handled. The, mm-hmm. the bigger issue is shame, and that's what drives so much of our sickness and pain and uh, self-destructive behavior. Well, uh, I hate for this conversation to come to an end, but uh, our, our time is about gone. Jamie Wright, thank you so much for joining us here on the Pirate Month Podcast. Uh, the
2: website, the website, website is TheVeryWorstMissionary.com. Mm-hmm.
6: Subscribe Check to our blog.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yes, uh, guys, this
6: has been super fun. <laughs> <laughs> all
1: right, and and you are you're in Northern California. Precisely where? What city are you in? I'm
6: in Folsom, so just east of Sacramento.
1: Okay, all right. So well,
2: your failures uh, with your children go a little farther. Okay. Yeah.
1: G- g- give our best to Steve, and we'll look for the forthcoming edition of uh, Jamie, the Very Worst Mother.
6: Absolutely. <laughs> it will be All there. Right. So long. Thanks, guys.
2: Okay. Hey, don't forget to send us your letters. We want some mailbags. Thank you, Mike, for giving us a good question. That was a great question, by the way, and concise, like that. Uh, so we want you to send us your thoughts and your letters. You can send them to...
1: Pirate Monk Radio at com, or, if you prefer, old school, Samson Podcast at gmail.com. We'll get your message either place. Uh, Don't forget to uh, like us on Facebook. Uh, If you're listening to us through iTunes, please give us a rating. Give us a nice uh, high rating, something that will drive us uh, toward the top of the pile. Uh, And gosh, I don't have at my fingertips next week's guest I should have. I don't have. Our producer, Jay Spiegel, is somewhere in the middle of the Irish Sea on vacation uh, into about his third Guinness, I think. Uh, And I am extremely jealous. Uh, But until next week, then, this is uh, Nate saying, on behalf of uh, Mondo, Aaron, and Jay, goodbye from the Pirate
4: Moon. Give yourself time to hear.